0: Praise the Lord. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. And to feel the presence of God is always a privilege. I want to direct your attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, and verse number 8. And I'll also be taking you to 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And verse number 13, and we're going to look at two uh, quick passages of Scripture before we jump into our lesson for tonight. Just turn around to someone near you there and say, it's great to see you in church tonight. Come on, just smile at them real big. If you don't feel like smiling, just fake it. Just fake a big old smile. That's all right. Sometimes when you fake a smile, you, it turns into a real smile after a minute. Amen. All right. Luke 21 and verse number eight. If you have that, say amen. And he said, take heed that ye be not deceived. Everyone said, be not deceived. For many shall come in my name. This is Jesus speaking. Saying, I am Christ and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. And then I'm directing you to Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving, everyone said deceiving, and being deceived. Does everyone notice there's a difference between those two things? verse 14 but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in christ jesus all scripture someone said all scripture every bit of it is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I want to teach for just a little while tonight, and I I know I get on these kind of topics quite a bit, but I just really felt the Lord dealing with me to, to look at a few of these things, and this will be a part one of a two-part series, and I'm calling it Be Not Deceived. Can you say that out loud with me? Be Not Deceived. And then subtitled, I'm calling it Eight Common Deceptions That Christians Believe. Eight Common Deceptions That Christians Believed. And you realize, of course, that uh, just because you're a Christian does not mean that you are immune from being deceived. If you're not careful, if you're not thoroughly furnished in the Word of God, you can be susceptible to deceit. And so we have to study the Scripture. That's why we have Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, it's why we do many things that we do, so that we can be thoroughly grounded in the Word of God. How many want to be grounded in the Word on the word of God. You want it to be your foundation. Amen. And so we're going to look at these tonight. Now, don't worry. I know that when I said the number eight, I saw a few of you kind of reel back and your eyes rolled back in your head and you almost passed out because you thought eight, that's a lot of points for brother Ryan to get through because you know me well enough to know that I can spend 15 to 20 minutes on one point. So be of good cheer we're only going to do 3 tonight. Someone said praise the Lord, glory to God. Hallelujah. All right, put your Bibles down. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would quicken us tonight. I pray that we would be that we would be rooted in your word. And I pray that we would grow in righteousness and holiness and that we would love truth with all of our hearts. We give you praise. Guard us from deception, Lord. And everyone said, in the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for being here tonight. You can be seated. I'll take you to the next slide. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci famously said, the greatest deception men suffer from is their own opinions. I think that's something that I have seen borne out in the lives of people who fall into deception is that many times they're deceived and so because it's their opinion, they can't deviate from it. That's why it's so important that we stand on the word of God and not our opinion because our opinion can get us in a lot of trouble. Uh, Opinions uh, can come and go. Opinions can uh, feel right to us. Have you ever been wrong about something and, uh, and it really felt right to you for a long time? Can anybody just testify to that? You, you really thought you were right about something for a long, long time, and you were sure. I mean, really, really sure. And then one day something happened. Uh, maybe you learned. Maybe you got a revelation. Maybe it wasn't spiritual. Maybe it was just one of those things for years I Thought that it was in the scripture that it was literally a proverb that said birds of a feather flock together I was sure I remember getting in an argument with someone one time and I said no, it's it's in there It's in the word of God I'll never forget the embarrassment when I realized that that's not actually a scripture in the Bible now The principle is there. There's principles that bear witness to that But that exact wording is not in the Bible you feel silly When you realize that you've had an opinion that's been wrong, that's why we've got to be thoroughly grounded in the word of God. Because it's not about my opinion. It's not about your opinion. It's what saith the word of the Lord. And we can stand on that. Now, you don't have to believe an entire lie in order to be deceived. Did you realize that? You don't have to be totally... uh, Totally won over by a deception, just like Eve didn't have to eat the entire fruit. She didn't have to. Uh, she didn't have to eat every piece of fruit on the tree in order to be lost and and out of sync with God. All she had to do was take one single nibble. That's all it took. Just one nibble was enough for her to be out of sync with the plan of God and the will of God and out of obedience from God. And so. We've got to be careful because a little bit of deception can go a long way in your spirit. We have to be very careful. We have to be very guarded. The scriptures that we read, especially Jesus, was speaking of the last days. Over and over again, scripture warns us that as the church gets closer to the coming of the Lord, uh, deception is going to become more and more prevalent in the world. I think that we could all testify that we see that happening all around us right now. Deception is stronger and stronger in the world around us. And so it becomes more and more important for the church to guard ourselves from the, the common deceptions that, that are all around us. Now, let's just talk about the nature of deception for a minute. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. He's the father of lies. He is the source of Of lies, he's the source of confusion. He's the source of deception. He is the original source. He is the original liar. It all started with him, and uh, and so any deception in the world began with Satan. And then there are people who uh, they heard a lie, and uh, and they like the deception, and so they even though they know that something is wrong, they still choose to believe it anyway. Ever known someone like that before? They know that something is wrong, but they choose to live as though it were true, and they teach it to other people as though it were true, but they know what's right. Anybody know someone like that? They know what's right, but they choose to believe and teach what is a lie. And then there's a third category of people, and to me, these are the most tragic they're the ones that break my heart the most. And these are people who are sincerely deceived. We know a lot of people like that, don't we? People who are sincerely deceived. They, someone deceived them. And it doesn't have to be Satan himself because Satan has uh, has plenty of people who are willing to go along with his deception, teach it to others, and the majority of people are sincerely deceived. And so every every false doctrine. Every, uh, every lie in the world that causes havoc and destruction begins with a seed of deception. Everyone said deception. That deception grows into confusion, and confusion will grow into what the Bible calls strong delusion or delusion. Where And, and of course, we see that in the world today. And, and I don't want to get all sidetracked with with problems in our culture today because I could go on and on and on, but that's why we live in a culture where people aren't sure if they're boys or girls anymore because we live in a culture of strong delusion. It's the spirit of the last days, and so that is the nature of a lie it grows into something dangerous. Now, I'll take you to the next slide, and I want to show you the very first common deception that many Christians believe. Now, most of the time, Christians won't say they believe this deception, but they live as though they do. Most of the time, we don't just come right out and say, this is how I feel, but we live as though we do. Our our life bears it out, okay? And the number one that we're going to look at is that the word saves me, but it doesn't change me. The word saves me, but it doesn't change me. Or in other words, I can be saved without ever having to change anything about myself. Anybody know Christians like that? Yes, this is very, very common. Now let's look at James 1 and 21 together. It says this, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, and it said the word of God, which is able to save your souls. But be ye, let's read verse 22 together out loud, shall we? Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. Verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word. And not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Or or it's like a person who's looking in a mirror, and they see their reflection, they see their face. Verse 24, and he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So it's like a person who looks in a mirror, and they walk away, and they forget what they saw, they forget what they Look like they forget who they are the moment they walk away. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty or the law that sets you free. Did you know the law sets you free? Yes, it does. We have about 20 percent that believe that. But the word of God sets you free. The word of God is not bondage. Holiness is not bondage. I'm going to preach this now because we got so quiet there. Righteousness is not bondage. No, it's not. It sets you free. Sin is bondage. Unrighteousness is bondage. It will enslave you. It will ensnare you. It will entrap you. And it will slowly destroy you. But the word of God is perfect. And it will set you free. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. And it, and then... It's like a person who, who looketh into the perfect law of liberty, looketh into the word of God and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer. Oh, I like that, and I wish I could preach about that for a long time. It's like a person who's not a forgetful hearer. We need a revival of people who leave church services implementing the word of God in their hearts and not just forgetting everything they heard the minute they walk out the door. Don't be a forgetful hearer. But a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So a person who, is, who incorporates the word of God in their life and, and does the word of God and lives according to the word of God, that man will be blessed by God. By the way, this scripture and James in general uh, is, is a strong source to go to when you come up against a, a, one of those Christians who will say something like, well, I live under grace. I live in liberty. Uh, God can't tell me what to do. No one can tell me how to live. No one can tell me that I can't be naked on the beach if I want to be naked on the beach. By the way, there's Christians who feel that way. No one can tell me that, that, that I can't be an alcoholic and be saved at the same time. That, that's the state of Christianity today. Well, I, I can smoke marijuana. I can do it all day long. It's green. God put it. I'm telling you, I've heard every single argument in the world. God said that every green thing is good. God said every green thing is good. And so I can roll it up and smoke it. Can, can I just tell you that uh, poison ivy is green? I dare you to roll that up and smoke it and see how it goes. And, le- and let me say another thing. Uh, That was before sin. After sin, God cursed the ground and thorns and thistles and all kinds of manner of evil things began to grow in the ground. You're not rolling up thorns and thistles and putting them in your mouth, are you? Because God cursed the ground and things began to grow in the ground that you have no business putting in your body. And so the word of God is very, 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 very important. And people will justify just about anything that they want to do if they want to do it bad enough. But can I just tell you that the law of God. God is perfect. The law of God will furnish you unto good works. Your good works will produce salvation. Your good works will produce the blessing of God on your life. How many want the blessing of God on your life? When you live according to the word of God, when you are a doer of the word, when when I say the word doer, we don't use that word very much, but that's an action verb. Everyone, everyone said this is English class. We didn't know we were going to English today, but that's an action verb. That means you're doing something. That means you, you're participating in this thing. And so it looks to me, according to my Bible, that you've got to participate in the process of being righteous. It, God will sanctify you. God will do the work. He'll impart his righteousness to you, but he doesn't impart his holiness in your life. He doesn't fill you with his spirit so you can desecrate his temple. No. By the way, when you get the revelation, truly get the revelation that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Paul said it in Romans, your body. Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? When you get the revelation that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. How many have the Holy Ghost tonight? And the Holy Spirit is dwelling, inhabiting. You are you are literally hosting the Holy Spirit in your body and when you when you begin to study the Old Testament and all of the purification and all of the things that happen in the Old Testament I'm going to preach this because it's so quiet tonight but I just feel liberty anyway Also, when you understand the teaching and and a lot of the grace preachers like to say, well, we're kings and priests in the Lord. That's absolutely true. If you look at the Old Testament and you look at the royal priesthood, they had to live a higher lifestyle than everybody else in the kingdom. And so when you realize you're a temple and a priest at the same time, you realize there's things you better not touch, things you better not do, things you better not participate in because you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. In the temple of the Holy Ghost and you're not going to desecrate it with the things of this world and sinfulness and impurity and unrighteousness no you've been changed you've been sanctified you've been set free by the power of God and you are more than just a hearer of the word a lot of people hear the word it is not enough hear me hear me hear me hear me and for those on the podcast listen to me carefully. It is not enough to just show up at church on Sunday and listen to a preacher. A lot of people, a lot of people are going to stand before God on Judgment Day and say, Lord, I went to church every Sunday. I heard everything the preacher said. And God's going to say, you heard, but you never did. That's exactly what's going to happen. You saw it in my word. I gave you my word. You, you read it, but you never obeyed it going to happen to a lot of people on judgment day and so i want to have a heart that says no i am going to be a doer of the word i'm going to hear it i'm going to do it i'm going to see it i'm going to believe it i'm going to i'm going to receive it into my spirit it's going to be like the seed that Jesus talked about in the parable where, where the seed is scattered. And I want to be the kind of ground. I want my life to be the kind of soil where the seed of God's word can fall in my spirit. And rather than having thorns and thistles choke it out, I want it to grow into the fruit of the spirit. I want love and joy and peace and righteousness, meekness, temperance, goodness in the Holy Ghost. I want all of those things to grow in my life because I've created a spirit where I will be a doer of the word. Everyone said be a doer of the word. The word of God will save us and it will change us. It will change how we talk. It'll change how we walk. It'll change how we dress. It'll change how we live. It will change our relationships. It'll change how we treat our husbands and our wives and our kids and our grandkids. It'll change the way we work. It'll change our work ethic. Oh, somebody ought to shout amen right now. It'll change everything about us because we are a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. All right. I'll take you to the next slide. I got way too excited on that one. Number two, common deceptions that Christians believe. And I see this far too often among Pentecostals now. This one is really bothering me. I can be religious without verbal self-control. Everyone said self-control. Let's look at James one twenty six in the King James. Let's read it together. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. James one i I'd like to read it to you in the New Living Translation uh, just because it's a little, little more clear there. If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Language is incredibly important in the sight of God. We've taught a lot lately. I've talked a lot about receiving the Holy Ghost and, and how when God fills you with His Spirit, What is the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost? It's speaking in other tongues. It's a verbal sign. People can hear it. On the day of Pentecost, they knew they'd received the Holy Ghost because they spoke with new tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. God takes control of our language because language is one of the most powerful things in the universe. Uh, Language uh, gives us the ability to communicate and have things in common And uh, language uh, can harm, it can build, it can destroy, it can tear down. Language is incredibly important. And so when language is used for evil, it is one of the most destructive forces in the world. And so there are many areas where we can sin with our language, with our words, with our speech. And and it's very important that when we serve the Lord, that we surrender ourselves. Our speech to God, and so I've identified a few things here i 'm going to go through them quickly where we can sin against God with our speech with our language and uh, unfortunately, I, I take no pleasure in saying this, but I see many Christians fall into these these areas. number one is gossip. everyone said gossip now uh, I had on the screen, I had compiled scriptures to back up every single one of these. And uh, I realized that if I put all the scriptures up that backed up these uh, eight categories, that we would have been here all night just looking at scriptures about gossip and and all of the other categories here. And so you're just going to have to take my word for it. If you doubt any one of these would be unbiblical. Come see me after church. I'll, I'll give you a two-hour Bible study on why you shouldn't gossip. Gossip is one of the most harmful things that you can do to an individual. Yes. Gossip is a terrible thing. Does everyone know what gossip is? Gossip is when you're spreading things about people that you may or may not know are true. You might think they're true, but you may not know for sure. And usually people justify gossip a few ways. Number one, they convince themselves that they know it's true. And oftentimes, in fact, more often than not, with gossip, some portion of the story that's being told turns out to be either completely untrue or totally blown out of proportion. Anybody ever played telephone before when you were a kid in school? Anybody know what telephone is? Telephone is that game where you get... (laughs) Some of y'all did. You you get in a circle or however, and you get, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, however many people, and you one person starts it, they whisper in someone's ear, and they they say something, a sentence. Sometimes it's three words, sometimes it's eight or nine words, whatever they want it to be. And they whisper, and then that person takes what they heard, they whispered in the next person's ear. And then the next, they go all the way around the circle, and then the very last person stands up and says, supposedly, what the first person said. And you can play that game a hundred times, and no one is ever going to stand up at the end and say what the first person said. Do we need to do a demonstration? I feel like we need to do a demonstration tonight. Maybe get in a little circle because some of y'all don't believe me. No, it's true, you get to the end and it's always some, in fact, it's usually hilarious because it's something that's completely different What the original person said, because as you pass it along, people don't listen, they don't understand, they get it wrong. And that's how gossip works. Gossip always works that way. As it's passed along, it changes, it morphs into something else. Someone adds, they embellish just a little bit, they change just a little bit, and they don't think it's a big deal. And then the next person changes and embellishes just a little bit. And by the time it gets all the way around, it's something completely different than it started out as and gossip will destroy people's lives. Gossip will produce some of the other things on this list. Number 1, it'll produce bitterness in someone's heart. But gossip also includes lying. Everyone said lying. Lying by itself is is a a, a terrible thing. In fact, we already uh, quoted the scripture that Satan is the father of lies, but uh, Jesus even said that all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. So lying, if you are a liar, you are directly connected to the spirit of Satan because Satan is the author of lies. And so when you participate in lying, even if you think you're doing it out of good motives or, or something like that, then, then you become associated with the spirit of Satan himself. And, and that ought to be the furthest thing from a Christian's heart to be associated with the spirit of satan and so uh oftentimes though gossip will include lying so someone in that chain of gossip is also a liar and so it becomes a a double sin and a dangerous thing but lying under any circumstances is a terrible thing and i rebuke the spirit of lying that grips churches lying needs to be the furthest thing from an apostolic pentecostal's heart Lying has no place in the house of God. It has no place in the business life of a Christian. Christians who think that, well, I can lie at work uh, because I'm trying to get ahead. No, you shouldn't be lying at work. You shouldn't be lying to your wife. You shouldn't be lying to your children. You shouldn't be lying to anybody because you want to have a spirit of truth in your life. And you want to be like Christ. And you don't want to be anything like the devil. Amen. Now, here's another one. Another way that... um, that Christians can sin with their speech, and that is cursing. Cursing. Cursing is a terrible thing. In fact, I was reading it again today. I, I know I've said this behind this pulpit before, but it grieves me so much that I'll, I promise you I'll say it uh, over and over again uh, over the next many years. But the number one curse word in the world today is the name of God. It's the name of Jesus. People, have you noticed that more and more uh, secular songs use religious themes in them? But they use them in a sacrilegious way. They'll talk about God, but they talk about God in a sacrilegious way. or Or they'll talk about hell. They've turned hell into a curse word. They've turned the name of God into a curse word. Because that's what Satan does. He takes sacred things. And he uses them in a vile, evil way. That's what Satan always does. And uh, I I wish I hadn't had to see it, but someone sent me an email the other day and it showed me a clip. You know, the new cool thing that uh, hip preachers are doing is hip preachers get up and and they curse now in the pulpit. Did you know that? That's the trend that's sweeping the country right now. Hip preachers get up behind the pulpit and they start cursing behind the pulpit. And I'm just gonna tell you, It is not the will of God for Christians to be vile in their language and in their speech. And we certainly should never be taking the name of the Lord in vain. We should never be taking the name of the Lord in vain. We should have a sacredness about us, a reverence for the things of God. Here's another way that you can sin with your speech. Having, Having language of divisiveness, to be a divisive person. There's lots and lots of scripture that backs this up that, that we, should, we should be promoting a spirit of unity. Many people can be very divisive in their conversation, and God is not pleased. God wants us to have a, a language of unity. Breaking confidence, breaking confidence really is another form of lying, where if you tell someone uh, that, uh, if you give the impression that you're going to Uh, to be a source that someone can speak to privately and then you spread that around. How many have ever been hurt because someone broke your confidence before? That's a very, very dangerous thing. Let me give you a little practical piece of advice because I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what if someone tells me something that uh, is dangerous and, and someone needs to know what they told me? Anyone know what I'm talking about? I I have this many, many times. So here's what I usually do so I don't get myself in a bind. Because most of the time, when someone's about to tell you something, it's going to get heavy here, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. For example, I've had people tell me, Brother Ryan, I'm thinking about committing suicide. And usually when when people get ready to tell, and of course, if someone tells me that, especially if they're a child, their parents need to know. Someone, someone around them needs to know. That, that's not something that I can, in good conscience, keep private. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? And so usually someone will set something up like that and say, well, I'm going to tell you something really, 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 really important. I need you to keep it absolutely secret, absolutely quiet, no matter what. Can you do that, Brother Ryan? And I will always tell them, it depends on what you're about to tell me. And then I'll give them a little list of things. And I'll say, if it's any one of those things, we're going to have to, there's a possibility that that we may have to get you help. And so in good conscience, I I may not can keep something really serious like that private. And that way I'm not lying to someone and saying, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to keep everything. No matter what you tell me, you tell me you murdered your neighbor, I'll keep that quiet. Right? No, you can't do that. You've got to have... You've got to have wisdom with that. But I'm talking about the normal everyday occurrence where someone comes to you and, and, and says something in confidence and then you break that confidence. That's a wrong thing for a Christian to do. Having a negative spirit, having a bitter spirit. How many want to have positive things come out of your mouth, positive things come out of your heart? You want to be an encourager, not a discourager. God has called us to build people up, not tear people down. And so if, if the only thing that's ever coming out of your mouth especially towards your spouse or your children is things that are tearing them down rather than building them up. You're not in the will of God. You need to be someone who builds people up with your words, lifts people up with your word, encourages people. When people leave a child of God, a conversation with a child of God, they ought to leave uplifted and encouraged. They shouldn't leave feeling like you've beat them up and torn them down and ripped them to shreds. No, they need to have confidence that they have uh, been with someone who has the joy of the Lord in their life. Faithless speech is is a very is a very negative, sinful thing to do as well. The Bible says that when the ten spies went in uh, to uh, look at the promised land, the Bible says that they came back with an evil report. going to that an evil report. Their report was faithless. In other words, God had told them. You can take the land. Moses didn't ask them to go into the promised land and spy it out and come back and tell him whether or not they could take the land. He just wanted them to go and just kind of get the lay of the land and come back and, and so they could know the best way to go. But instead, they came back with a faithless report. And the Bible says that it was an evil report. When they said, we can't do what God says That we can do. That was an evil thing. And so when Christians have a mentality that says we can't do what God says we can do. That is an evil thing to do. So if God says we're going to have revival, you shouldn't be going around saying, no, we can't have revival. If God says we can be healed, you shouldn't be going around saying we can't be healed. If God says that we can be blessed, you shouldn't be going around saying we can't be blessed. If God says we can do it, don't run around saying we can't do it. We need to have an attitude of faith that says, yes, Lord, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We trust you, Lord. We believe you, Lord. That is the attitude of faith. I'm not talking about being fake or phony or plastic. I'm talking about someone who chooses intentionally to have words of faith in their heart and not words of faithlessness. That is something you have to choose every single day. I choose to believe God's report. I choose to reject the report of the enemy. I choose to believe Joshua and Caleb's report. And I choose to reject the report of the 10 faithless spies. I choose to believe the word of God and not what the enemy's whispering in my ear. That's called having faith. And I want to have faith in my spirit. How many want to of faith tonight why don't you just wave your hand to the lord and say god i want to have words of faith i want to build people up with my words i want to inspire faith in other people's heart with my words by the way you never know what someone is struggling with when you're talking to them as a christian and so you should have words that that inspire faith in people and everyone said amen all right i'm gonna take you to the last slide i promised you i'd be short I'm going to keep that promise. The third common deception that many Christians believe is that worldly wisdom makes me wise. Everyone said worldly wisdom. We're going to talk about that for a quick minute here. 1 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, let no man deceive himself. Notice that every scripture we've looked at so far has been a situation where the Bible describes it as deceiving yourself. And oftentimes, that is how deceit works. We know better, but we allow ourselves to be deceived or we deceive ourselves. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, or if he thinks he is wise by the world's standards of wisdom, let him become a fool. How many thinks that that means that God wants us all to be fools? No, it means that, You're discarding worldly pretensions, and you're acknowledging a lack of wisdom. Or we could say it this way: you become humble. You humble yourself. You, or we could say it this way: you recognize in God's presence that you've been foolish. I think that's a good way to say it. Where you you come into the presence of the Lord, you thought you were wise with worldly wisdom. And then you humble yourself in the presence of God and you say, Lord, I've been foolish all this time. I thought I was wise. And by the standards of the world, I am wise. But God, I came in your presence and I realize I've been foolish all this time. And then you become truly wise. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness. Absurdity. One translation literally says stupidity, and I thought I'd throw that in there for you. But nobody's going to laugh because we're all too uptight tonight. I got you all too tense. One translation literally says stupidity. For the wisdom of this world is stupidity with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Or he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. Have you ever heard that expression, you give them just enough rope to hang themselves? Yeah, so... The wisdom of this world, people become so full of themselves and so clever and, 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 and so arrogant before God that literally their own arrogance, their own, their own foolish so-called wisdom actually ensnares them. And the very thing that they thought made them great is the very thing that winds up destroying them. Now, I'm going to lose some of you here, but I want to close with this. Uh, I, I've had this on my mind. There's, a, a, uh, there's been a, a long-standing philosophy, especially in the Jewish culture, and there's been two pillars of, of human thought or two pillars of society. Everyone said society. One of those pillars, if you had one here and one here, one pillar would be reason. Everyone said reason or science, and so that's the wisdom of this world. Everyone said the wisdom of the world. So you have the wisdom of the world, reason, science, philosophy, all of these things, and that's pillar number one. And then over here on pillar number two, you have religion, or you have God, or you have the law of God. And those have been the two pillars that hold society up for hundreds and hundreds of years now. And oftentimes they work hand in hand. For example, one of the things that made America great in the beginning is that the, the two pillars were working together. For example, uh, science was the pursuit of understanding God better. Did you know the early scientists, for example, Isaac Newton, he was a devout Christian, and they would study, and their, science, their pursuit of science, their pursuit of reason, all of that was grounded in the idea that they wanted to understand God's creation better. They wanted to understand God better, and they wanted to understand what God was doing in the world, and so they pursued reason. They pursued science through the lens of religion or through the lens of of belief in God, but somewhere along the line, we've become a post-Christian society. Now, I know in America that we pride ourselves in being a Christian nation, and I thank God that there are many millions of Christians in the United States of America, but but if you look at it closely, look at the studies, you'll find, especially my generation, they call us millennials. Uh, I made it by about six months. I'm barely a millennial, but I'm still going to call myself that because I'm young enough to be a millennial. My generation is leaving churches by the millions. The average millennial in the United States of America is post-religion and the number one reason when they survey them and they ask them why did you leave religion it usually had something to do with public school or college and it had something to do with the theory of evolution or the big bang or some kind of social thing like homosexuality or transgenderism something that they didn't like about religion that they thought didn't that didn't that didn't jive with religion, and so they rejected one pillar of society, God, and they chose to only stand on the pillar of reason or science. Everybody still with me? I'm almost done, I promise. The problem is, if you study the history of nations, if you study Rome, if you study Greece, if you study all of those great civilizations that, that came up uh, in all of history, you'll find that whenever one pillar falls, the whole thing falls because you cannot have one without the other. You cannot be wise without God. You cannot be well-reasoned without God. You cannot be scientific without God. The moment you get rid of God, you get rid of reason. The moment you get rid of religion and you crucified on the altar of science, you get rid of your ability to be objective and actually truthful. And so they've been doing studies, and they're finding it—it's it, it, amazing to people because. For years, we've been dealing with generations of people who have literally turned science into a religion. Did you know there are people who worship at the altar of science? They would never call it that. They would never say that out loud. But they literally worship at the altar of science. If you don't believe me, just try to talk to someone who really believes with all of their heart that we came from monkeys. And you try to talk to them about that. And you really get down into actual reasoning and science with them. And you say, but where... You believe in the Big Bang. Okay, now you realize that it's, that it's point million, 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 millionth, 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 millionth of a degree that everything would actually fall into place. And the likelihood of that being uh, possible is so many billions in the percentile that it can't even possibly be true. But let's just pretend like the Big Bang was possible. Where did the very first piece of microscopic matter come from? Where did it come from? Where did that first little piece of matter, that first little bit that exploded into something else, that exploded into something else, that exploded into something else, and then it turned into a blob, and then it evolved into a fully functioning human being? If if all of that happened, where did that first microscopic piece of matter come from? And you know what? You know what Dawkins said? Richard Dawkins, one of the most famous atheists and scientists in the world, when they finally cornered him, you know what he said? Here's what he actually said. He actually said this. You can go find it on YouTube right now. He said, most likely it came from some kind of extraterrestrial source. (laughs) Do you know what he means when he says that? Aliens. Yeah, he means aliens. He means that an alien probably came from some other universe somewhere and an alien gave us some little blob of matter and that little blob of matter exploded into a big bang and then it exploded into an amoeba and that amoeba turned into a blob that turned into a monkey that turned into a fish that turned into a man. I don't even know how it all works but all of that and then here we are today with all of this complex world and the solar system and if the earth just tilted a little bit over this direction it'd freeze to death and a little bit over that direction it'd burn up and and all of that's by accident but an alien did all of that. And so I thought to myself when I saw that for the first time, this man has gotten to a place where he is so wise that he's absolutely stupid. He's gotten to the place where he's so full of his own arrogance that he would rather believe in an alien from some other universe than a God who could breathe the breath of life into mankind. I'm telling you the wisdom of this world is foolishness. The wisdom of this world will destroy you. That's why you always have to stand on the word of god the word of god is what you can trust in stand with me i'm closing by the way science changes all the time you know one minute they'll tell you kale is good for you and the next minute they'll tell you kale will kill you unfortunately they've been pretty consistent about bluebell bluebell's just always bad for you i wish they'd come out with some study even if it's a total outlier I would believe it, no matter what, even if they did it in some basement somewhere, if they came out and said, "Blue bell will make you skinny, and bluebell will increase your life by ten years." Boy, I'd be buying ten gallons of bluebell tonight, deceiving. deceiving myself, the foolishness of men. But science changes all the time. It really does. they They think one thing, you know. They think the world's going to burn up in a fiery flame of climate change, and when I was a kid it was we were going to freeze to death. Science changes its mind all the time. Doctors will tell you one thing today and another thing tomorrow, one thing's good for you today, another thing's bad for you tomorrow they they because they don't really know because man is not all knowing man is not God, no matter how much we'd like to think that we can be man cannot know everything but my bible says that god is the same yesterday today and forever if it was good for paul and silas it's good for me if it was good for grandma and grandpa it's good for me amen amen the gospel hasn't changed his word hasn't changed. You can rest on it. And no matter what science says, you can always stand on the word of God. Because if you wait long enough, the word of God will prevail in the end and science will change its mind. Always stand on the word of God. Lift up your hand right now. Lord, I pray that you would give us your wisdom. I pray that you would give us your grace. I pray that we would walk in humility and righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves in your presence. And, God, that we would have spiritual wisdom and that we would walk in unity and strength. We give you praise. We give you glory. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hug someone's neck. Tell them it's great to see them in church tonight. You're dismissed.